Today we are going to talk about two very distinct types of freedom. What are they? One will celebrate this July 4th, marking political freedom from England, depicted quite movingly in this clip from the movie Patriot. Watch this. Reverend, with your permission, I'd like to make an announcement. Young man, this is a house of God. I understand that, Reverend. I apologize. The South Carolina militia is being called up. I'm here to enlist every man willing. Son, we are here to pray for the souls of those men hanging outside. Yes, pray for them. But honor them by taking up arms with us. And bring more suffering to this town? King George can hang those men, our friends. He can hang any one of us. Dent Scott, barely a week ago, I heard you rail for two hours about independence. And? Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Well, that's a very good question for us, too. How about us? Do we, you and I, stop short in our experiencing real spiritual freedom? by our often giving it a kind of high-sounding lip service, rather than our really fully experiencing spiritual freedom as God intends, really fully working it out with God's help in our lives, and then really living it out fully? Well, that's a very good question for us, too. And to help us answer that, let's first draw upon some inspiration from the people of that church, and what they do concerning their political freedom. I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us? What we just saw with the people of that church was they're moving beyond mere words to literally take a stand for their political freedom. And that's what the scriptures tell us to do in our spiritual freedom. We're to take a stand. We are to literally stand up fully into our spiritual freedom. In fact, Galatians 5.1 in the NIV tells us this. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It's like that old soft drink ad that says, ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. You see, Christ came to set us free so we would be really free. 
so that we would have full, genuine, active spiritual freedom within. Not some watered-down, half-baked version of it. Because when it comes to our spiritual freedom, that's what we can end up with. A watered-down, half-baked spiritual version of freedom when we allow ourselves to be burdened again and again and again. And the thing that can burden us again and again, the Bible calls a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery can be all sorts of things. Uh, For the people in that church of the video clip, their yoke of slavery was death. Anytime King George wants, he can hang any of us, they were told. But for us, in terms of our spiritual freedom, the yoke of slavery that threatens us is not our physical death. But it is a death of sorts inside. Inside our hearts, inside our spirits, inside our outlooks. And when our freedom is threatened inside with feelings of heaviness in our hearts or something sour in our spirits or something odious in our outlooks, it's scary and it's frightening and it hurts. Let me say last week, I think we felt twinges of those kinds of things when a government official and their family was denied service at a restaurant and asked to leave and when a member of Congress encouraged people to harass presidential cabinet members when they are out in public, both of which doesn't sound a whole lot like freedom to me. But thankfully, voices in both parties have very sternly said that is wrong. But realize that's the kind of thing which happens, and we're seeing so much more of these days, when someone feels oppressed by a point of view, or by people who might hold that point of view. And such oppression, as we've seen, leads to feelings of obsession that is desperately wanting to do something about it. Although there are many, many parallels between political and spiritual freedom, they don't share this particular one. Unlike political oppression, spiritual oppression doesn't move us in the same way to do something about it. Instead, when we are spiritually oppressed and lack spiritual freedom, we tend to be burdened. And we tend to stay burdened. And we tend to remain burdened by that. I think it's a good reason for that. Politically, when people feel oppressed, they want to move into action. They want to break free. Because they can see what they perceive to be their opposition so easily. Politically, they can see their opposition through different political party affiliations. In Congress, that's referred to those on the other side of the aisle. And in the theater of war, it's also very clear to us who the enemy is by the look of their uniform, their artillery, tanks, planes, soldiers, and their enemy intent. It is obvious who the enemy is. But when it comes to our being spiritually oppressed, And lacking spiritual freedom, the enemy hides. He is not so obvious. He's not standing right there before you, clearly visible. Instead, he invisibly impacts us within. And he's so good at doing that to the point that sometimes we might even think that we are the enemy. But let's be clear, it's not us. It's not us. Yes, the enemy to our spiritual freedom is indeed great. We know him as the devil. His name is Satan. And he is not standing right there before you, clearly visible. 
Instead, invisibly impacting you within. And 1 Peter 5, 8 in the New Living Translation tells us this. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. There's that word again, stand. Stand up, stand firm against him. How do you do that? By being strong. Being strong in your faith, the scripture says. Because you see, fear is his primary weapon. And how do we know that? Well, the scripture tells us. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Think of it this way. If you in real life actually found yourself standing in front of a real life lion in the wild, you would be filled with fear. That's obvious. And if that lion suddenly began roaring at you, then your fear would spike to unbelievable levels, thinking he had his sights on devouring you. And thus fear is the devil's weapon. And fear can devour you spiritually, just as surely as a lion can devour you physically. Zach Williams has a song out now, Fear is a Liar. And it says, Fear, he is a liar. He will take your breath. And that's where fear began actually devouring me. Last August, my first surfing trip to Costa Rica, instead of the usual six-foot waves, they grew to ten feet, which means the waves were four feet over my head. And when I got caught in the impact zone, swimming where the waves are breaking and churning after they break, then it was six feet of white water hitting you again and again and again. It got pretty scary. And honestly, there were two or three times I wasn't sure that I was going to make it out alive and not drown. And a couple of factors contributed to that. One, I had this really big board. It was much larger and harder to get control of when you get pounded again and again and again. And the second was the fact that I've been diagnosed with having only 73% of my lung capacity remaining from pulmonary fibrosis for some unknown reason. And ever since then, ever since then, I've become obsessed and oppressed thinking about my breathing. Even if I've just started walking quickly, I started to feel like I'm out of breath. Surfing became much harder, and all the paddling and movement felt like I was often seriously out of breath. In fact, upon returning to Costa Rica on my second surfing trip there last month, with the waves six feet and under and much more manageable, I was still struggling. And I actually started thinking about giving up surfing, my favorite thing to do. Because getting out of breath when I was battling the waves, frankly, made me very, very much afraid. And in Costa Rica... When I realized this, thankfully, I thought about it. I said, you know, fear could be affecting my breathing. That could be a factor. And one morning before hitting the waves, I saw this from Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, which said, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And following that scripture, In the devotion, it said, The faith of many falters when apprehension enters their thinking, and they forget to take a deep spiritual breath. 
So when it comes to fear and apprehension, when it comes upon you, say to yourself, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. And take a deep spiritual breath. That's exactly what I did. When I went walking towards the beach, towards the surf afterwards that morning, I claimed the Lord is my helper and my shepherd. I took a deep spiritual breath, picturing it being a spiritual breath with the Holy Spirit, literally filling my lungs opening them up with God's healing touch, increasing my lungs' physical capacity. And that's exactly what I felt God do. Did I still get winded with all the paddling and movement surfing that morning? Sure. But I felt like I had renewed lungs and renewed breath and a new love for surfing, a new love for God who made it all possible. And now I don't really think about my breathing capacity at all. Rather, I think about the Lord being my shepherd and my helper as I take deep spiritual breaths in my lungs. You see, it was fear. It was apprehension that actually physically constricted my lung capacity and thus constrained me. I was standing firm, not in my faith, but in my fear. And it was killing my ability to leave freely and to enjoy one of the things I enjoy most in life, surfing. And let me say, please hear this. We, all of us, have no idea of the degree to which fear and apprehension constricts us and constrains us inside and takes away our spiritual breath as well. But Galatians 5.13 in the message tells us, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. It's true. So please hear this. God has called you to live an absolutely free life. How do we do that? Hebrews 12.1 in the New Century Version says, we should remove from our lives anything, anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Other versions of the same verse say we should remove sins and things that might trip us up, that might take us down, that so easily entangles us. And so how do we get entangled in such things? Well, it's kind of a lot like that picture that there's on the screen of a cat who is all entangled in a ball of string that he was playing with. And it's kind of the same for us, even though we think, oh, I would know that. I would see the entanglement coming. But the cat didn't, and neither do we. For us, entanglement is much more like this picture on the screen of a whale. Although the whale is large and powerful, you'll notice there's a small net that's wrapped around his tail. Notice, too, the net is beginning to create a wound, beginning to open up the flesh of the whale, and the truth is the same thing happens with you and me. Those sins and things that entangle us, like fear, can tear us up and can take us down and ultimately hold our spiritual freedom away from us. They do the same thing. They cut into who we are. They expose raw places within us. For this whale, if he's not able to get free of this net, even though 98% of his body is uncovered and completely free, that little percent will ultimately take his life. Same thing's true for us with those sins and fears that hold us back and that trip us up and take us down and so easily entangle us. They can be real death to places in our hearts and lives, in our spirits as well. 
So as Galatians 5.13 says, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. So own that, know that, understand that. But you have to understand, too, a big part of the equation of you living a free life is you staying out of places that threaten you. We know that's physically true, for instance, in Orlando. There are places that you don't want to go at night where there is gang activity or there's drug dealing going on. And even though you'd be completely innocent of that, if you were hanging out there, it could be quite dangerous for you. Likewise, there are places of turmoil inside where you don't want to go and you don't want to be. And these places are related to three seemingly innocent and normal places in your life. These are your comforts, your concerns, and your circumstances. Matthew 6.25 in the NIV tells us this in terms of your comfort. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body what you will wear. Now, why did God give us this scripture? (laughs) It's because he knows we do just that, don't we? We spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of angst and worry on areas of comfort for our lives. And these things are, however, not to dominate our thoughts. But it's Matthew 6, chapter verses 32 and 33. When we get there in the New Living Translation, it tells us your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Now I have to say for me, I would rather pour a cup of decaf coffee that I could make at home than I would to go to Starbucks to get a decaf soda latte with extra foam. Not that that's wrong for others, but I just don't need to do that. I don't need to go every day to do that. I don't need to spend the money to do that. So God says be free in areas of your comfort. Don't overly complicate. Don't overly expect. Don't overly anticipate what you need in terms of your comforts. And so beyond the turmoil that ties us up with our comforts, there's also turmoil that's related to our concerns. Matthew 6.34 in the RSV says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And why does Jesus say that? Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we think so much about our concerns for ourselves, so much with what's going to happen. Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And we don't really know. We don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Other versions of this say, hey, don't get worked up about tomorrow. Now think about the last time you got worked up about something, okay? And then after that, on the next day, or a few days after, it didn't turn out the way you anticipated at all. And although we are familiar with these words, don't be anxious about tomorrow or worry about tomorrow, look at this very same verse from Matthew 6.34 in the message version, which says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow you see so many of us spend so much of our time concerned about how we're going to live in the future how we'll live tomorrow live next week live next month instead of living right now and you certainly 
you miss out on so much of the joy and so much of the fullness of life when you are frequently focused on some other time. This is so important in the area of our concerns because, continuing in verse 34, it says, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So whatever those concerns are, whatever those um, comforts are that you're seeking, or whatever are those circumstances that are before you, God will take us one step beyond that, telling us this in John 16, 33 in the Living Bible. I have told you this so that you will have peace of heart and mind. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but cheer up, for I have overcome the world. You see, that's what freedom is really about. It's about the peace in your heart and your mind and your spirit, being at peace. Now, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but someone asked me this years ago, well, how long have you been at peace in your heart and mind? And I had to say, you mean completely? I don't really know. But Jesus said we can have peace in our heart, our mind, and our spirit completely. Understand that's possible. And that's exactly where it is that God wants you to live. Because he did say here, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. But what Jesus is saying in that is you're not to stay in the low points of those things. Rather, he says, cheer up. But if you've been through one of those really tough things, or you're in the midst of one of those really tough things, and you hear these words from Jesus, cheer up, you think to yourself, are you kidding me? But look at what Jesus says. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I've overcome many, many, many things. And he can help you overcome those circumstances as well. In fact, Romans 8th chapter in the NIV tells us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I tell you, the best place that you can be in your life is surrounded by the love of Christ. That is, his arms, his spirit, his heart, embracing you and your heart and your spirit. So who shall separate us from that? Well, continuing, the scripture says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. It says no. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He has overcome those things and we can overcome those things through him. So there are spiritual places within that we need to avoid. And we don't need to go there. And we don't need to hang out there. And those places are where we too strongly focus on our own version of what the Scripture says. Trouble and hardship and persecution and danger. Because they can entangle us. And they can trip us up. They can take us down. They can undermine our freedom. Places of turmoil when it comes to our comforts and our concerns and our circumstances. So how do we do that? By understanding our freedom can be blocked in a couple of ways. One is overthinking. You ever heard of overthinking? It's the art of creating problems that aren't even there. And sometimes we can overthink things and do just that, create problems that aren't even there. The other side of it is overfeeling, and that's the art of permitting your emotions 
to distort truth and your thinking, not seeing things in the right way anymore. So our freedom can be undermined by our overthinking and our overfeeling in our comfort, our circumstances, and in our concerns. And Jesus said, I came, died, and rose again so that you can have a mediocre existence. Did Jesus really say that? Absolutely not. He didn't want you to live a mediocre life. Galatians 5.13, again, the message says, and you really need to hold on to this, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to live a free life. We highlighted call you for you to see that's what freedom's about. Freedom is endowed by God, but it's not a gift. It's a calling. And what is a calling? A calling is something that you're drawn to. A calling is something that you invest yourself in. A calling is something you grow from to go beyond where you were when you first were called. That's what freedom is to be for us. A calling for us to go beyond where we are. So embrace that calling to be free. Invest yourself in that calling to be free. And grow through that calling to be the full spiritually free person that God created you to be. Because freedom's truth is this. Those lacking freedom can spend their entire lives chasing after it. But for those who find freedom, it can reshape how entire lives are lived. You see, that's what God wants for you. He wants to reshape the entire rest of your life with his freedom. So won't you respond to his calling to you? Will you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you so much for sending your son and the reason for sending your son to set us free so that we would have ultimate freedom. So be with us, Father, not to overthink and overfeel places in life that we really need to avoid turmoil in our comforts, turmoil in our circumstances, turmoil in our concerns. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to respond to that calling for your freedom, that we might grow in that through and through because it came from you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.